You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. You've often heard the phrase that people see problems, but leaders see opportunities. People see problems all the time. Everybody can identify problems. But leaders have a unique ability to see the opportunity within the problem. They're not minimizing the problem. They're seeing the opportunity to improve, to grow, to open up new doors. Years ago, the photography industry switched from analog, which is just print film only. You took your pictures, you went to Costco or wherever, you got them printed out, and they were whatever size you paid for to get printed. And that's the only way you could have pictures was to have them printed out on physical paper. But Kodak and other companies began to look at the shift from analog photography to digital photography, that your pictures could actually show up on screens, on computer monitors, that they could be uh, printed out in the comfort of your own home and not having to go to a photo processing place. And as they began to look at that leap and what it would take to do it, they saw all the problems. That digital photography was too slow. When you push the shutter, there was a lag and then it would take the picture so you might not capture the moment that you were hoping to capture. And so certain companies began to dive into it and try to overcome those problems. But Kodak, the very company that its name itself meant photography. Most people would just talk about Kodak and they meant photography. That Kodak as a company entered the digital world of photography three years too late. And in doing so, the very name that meant photography had largely then exited the photography business. They were three years too late. The industry ran ahead of them. They couldn't make the shift. They couldn't catch up to the technology. And they folded as a company because they didn't jump on the opportunity. In a similar way, years later, Sony cameras decided to launch mirrorless cameras. You say, well, what is a mirrorless camera? Well, many camera bodies would have inside, when the light would come through and go on the inside of the camera, they would have a mirror in place so that that mirror would reflect the image up to your viewfinder. So when you held it up to your eye, you actually would see what you're looking at. You would see what you're shooting at because there was a mirror in the way. And then right at the moment of taking a picture, that mirror would flip up out of the way and show the sensor. Well, Sony said, what if we got rid of the mirror? What if, that, what if we got rid of that? And so they went to mirrorless cameras. And what I want to show you here is you are directly looking right into the sensor of the camera right here. That, they, that There's no mirror in place. There's no shutter. That basically what would happen is that the image goes directly onto the sensor without the need for a mirror. And in doing so, you can make camera bodies a lot smaller. You didn't have to have the, the width of the camera to be able to also include a mirror. Now... Nikon and Canon and other manufacturers, they were the leaders in the photography industry. And they said, we just don't see the need. We don't think people will go to mirrorless. There's a lot of problems. There's a lot of challenges. And we just don't think that they're going to go there. So what Sony did, instead of charging ahead with their formerly mirrored camera lines, they said, we're going to start an entirely new line. And we're going to go after a group of people, a segment of society, who will be open to mirrorless photography and the advantages that it brings. And what happened is they launched into it. And they absolutely captured a sector of the market that no other camera company thought existed. And so the competition detailed the problems in shifting to mirrorless, but Sony saw the opportunity. 
And in a bold move, really not since companies have moved from analog to digital, just about six years ago, Sony moved from mirrored cameras to mirrorless cameras. They went full frame mirrorless and they took the camera industry by storm and they'd be able to own and capture and be the leaders in a genre of mirrorless cameras as other companies scramble to catch up. In fact, Canon, I believe just this year, has finally caught up to mirrorless technology on the full frame market and Nikon has been behind the curve. Nikon, a camera company that's been around for over 80 years, is actually on the brink right now of deciding, should we exit the camera industry? None of us would have believed that about Nikon just a few years ago. But people see problems. However, leaders see opportunities. And here's why you need this sermon. It is toxic for you to complain about problems when character is really the solution. When problems arise, it is toxic for you and I to complain about problems. God hates complaining. It is a sin. He looks at it and we don't consider our complaining as a sin like many other sins, but God looks at complaining and says, that's a, that's a sin. It's not constructive criticism, which says, let's elevate and show that there's actually a problem. Let's bring solutions to it. But when we complain for complaining's sake, when we just vomit our complaints out about everything because we don't like the problems that are at hand, but we feel better about giving our opinion and our complaint to everybody else, we think we feel better in that we've actually accomplished something when we haven't. We actually think we've made ourselves right and our solution right when we've done nothing to change the problem. We've simply just complained. And God hates complaining because complaining is the opposite of faith. Complaining is the opposite of actually fixing the problem. If you're taking notes today, write this down. We want to talk about the potential in every problem. And I want you to find the opportunity in every problem. Find the opportunity in every problem. Because we have problems. Problems are real. Problems exist. But people see problems, but leaders see opportunities. And I want for you as a believer to begin to look at the opportunity in the midst of a problem. I mean, have you ever heard the phrase, maybe a manager has said this to you or you've said it to other employees. You've said, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. Bring me solutions, why? Why do leaders say that? Because good leaders train their people to bring solutions, not just problems. You wanna train people to think for themselves, to come up with creative solutions, not just raise the problem and, and just be a complainer, but to actually bring a solution to the problem, a help, a fixer, a sharpener in your uh, industry, in your family, in your teams. And I wanna let you know that good leaders, good parents, good employees, and good coaches train those they lead to bring solutions to the problems that they face. What's the opportunity in the problem? And maybe you're a parent and you've got some defiance among your kids and you go, what's that's a problem. What's the opportunity in the problem? What is a solution to the problems I'm facing? How could that child be involved in the solution to the problem that we're experiencing with them? See, problems often arise because of a lack of character. Sin brings problems. It just does. That's the nature of sin in your life and my life, that sin brings problems and, and problems arise because there's just a lack of character in, on the inside that we just haven't built up the character to overcome certain problems. And, and when we complain, for an example, that's a lack of character. 
We're trusting in our own intellect. We're trusting in our complaint instead of trusting in the Lord or bringing solutions to the critical, uh, the constructive criticism of some of the problems that we're facing. We often bring our prejudices and our favoritism into new life in Christ. See, when you become a Christian, you're not just so instantly changed that you don't bring your own, your old preferences. You don't bring your old favoritism. You in fact do bring your prejudices. You bring your preferences. You bring your favoritism into new life with Christ. And that was exactly what is happening at the launch of the early church. So many people are getting saved and so many people are trying to be helpful. But along with that come certain problems and the old favoritism, the old prejudices end up getting caught up and brought into new life in Christ. If you have your Bible, open with me to Acts chapter six, beginning with verse one, it says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So real quick, I'll just let me give you the picture that the Jewish, the Hellenistic, the Jewish um, the Hebraic Jews, which would be the Jewish widows, were getting all the food they need. But the Greek widows, who are now believers, were getting overlooked. Those widows were getting overlooked. There was prejudice happening in the parsonage. There was favoritism happening among the Lord's people. Verse two, so the 12, that's the apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables. So brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and of wisdom. And we will turn this responsibility over to them. And we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, who was a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed. They laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So there's an amazing thing that happens here. The problem was not in the operations. The operations were operating, that widows were getting food, but the problem was not that, that there was no food for widows. The problem was in the lack of character of those running the operations, that they were showing favoritism. Therefore, the solution to the problem is not changing the operations. It's not, it's not coming up with a new operations manual. It's not coming up with a new list of rules. The solution to the problem must be the right people with the right character leading the operations of distributing food to the widows. And this idea pleased everybody. What is the opportunity, you must ask, presented in the problem? Well, the solution in this case was expanding the leadership base and expanding it with people of character. It's interesting because locally here in the Elk Grove area, there's a, uh, a distribution place called Mail and More here in Elk Grove. And Mail and More in Elk Grove will actually call me when they have a job opening because they have experienced the value of having employees who have integrity, employees who have character. And Sun Grove Church, particularly young adults who've worked at Mail and More, have brought that reputation. 
They've earned it. And so what happens? They're like, we have a job opening. We want to find some more people like those people. Do you know anybody like that? And, and maybe for you in the workplace or maybe for you uh, where you are, people come and say, are there other people like you? Do you have any friends? Because you're just steady. You bring integrity. You don't complain like everybody else. And you are a person of character. Do you have anybody else that we could hire who's like you? But when a problem arises, many people try to be fixers without considering character. See, a lot of us want to be fixers. In fact, for some of us in helping professions, and some of us because of how we're wired in the Enneagram, because of how God has made us, because we want to be careful and we want to help our children and we want to help other people and we want to be helpful, many of us are fixers. But sometimes fixers don't know their limits. So when a problem arises, they start this cycle of fixing everything, that everything has to go through them. And they don't know their boundaries. They don't know their limits. And what happens? Why do we do that? Sometimes it's a power play or maybe pride is the motivation that maybe you see yourself as I'm the rescuer or I'm the fixer and, and I need to be needed and I need to have my stamp of approval on it. So people will operate everything, that everything has to go through them, that it's not okay unless it goes through them. And they basically bring the world to the ability and the limit of their ability to solve problems, but they don't know that they're creating a bigger problem. And leaders and parents need to hear this. Sometimes you become the limiting factor in the growth of your organization and in your ministry. And parents, listen to me. Sometimes you become the limiting factor in the growth of your children. Why? Because you rescue them all the time because everything has to go through you. You're not unleashing them to be people who see the opportunity and the problem and who bring solutions. I'm not saying let your kids run your life and be a child-centered family where the kids make all the decisions and you have no say. What I am saying is train up your children to be able to bring solutions and not just problems. Involve them in the problem-solution situation. Help them be solution bringers. So what happens? You and I can become limiting factors that if everything revolves around us, the ministry can't grow. And that's what was happening here. The ministry can't grow. Like they complained and that it was an actual fair. It was constructive criticism. That went up to the apostles. Now, if the apostles said, you're right, we're gonna take over the sharing of food to the widows and we'll fix this problem, then guess what would happen? The number of those who believed in Christ would not increase. It would not increase because everything had to go through them. So what do we do? To change the pattern you must know your priorities and set healthy boundaries. So write this down. Define the priority. And the priority is the ministry of the word and of prayer. For the apostles, for any pastor or ministry worker, the priority must be the ministry of the word, which for some is teaching, but for most, it's letting the word of God minister to you. It is the ministry of the word in your life and prayer. And then what we do is done out of the overflow. So the priority in your life, the priority in my life has got to be the ministry of the word and of prayer because any Christian professional could be busy working for God but actually neglect being with God. You can get so caught up fixing all the problems, 
even in a nonprofit or even in a church, that you can actually neglect being with God. See, many people call themselves believers, but you've got to grow into the priority of becoming a person of character. And to become a person of character, you cannot neglect biblical learning and letting the word of God speak into and have claim over your life. And you must not neglect prayer. By the way, the more we complain, the less we pray. And I think God knew that people were wired like that and that he thinks that complaining is such a bad thing because he knows that we start to trust ourselves instead of bringing our problems and the potential solutions or the possible opportunities to be revealed by him as we bring our constructive criticism to him in prayer. See, a lot of people say, I'm a believer. I'm a believer. But you can be a believer and not grow. And believers grow once they become followers. Not just believing, but that we actually begin to follow. We must firsthand experience the word, the ministry of the word in our lives. And what does that mean? That I don't just read the Bible, but as I read the Bible, I begin to allow God's word to change how I think. I begin to let God's word change how I behave. That I give the word of God claim over my life. That the word of God takes now priority over my political opinions. The word of God takes priority over my external behaviors and my internal motivations. The word of God takes priority when it comes to how to solve problems. And I become obedient to the word. The word becomes personal to me. It begins to minister to me. I feed off of the word of God. You must understand your boundary, number one, and your priority in your life is the ministry of the word. And that's us hearing from God and responding to it. The second part is prayer. Prayer is God's given us his text message, but prayer is our response back to God, our communication back to him. That's where we bring and submit our problems. God, I don't know the solutions. God, this seems too big. What are the opportunities you would have us respond to? And it's then that God, through his Holy Spirit, begins to give us unique wisdom and character to see the opportunities in the midst of problems. My son once said this, he said, salvation is less about making a profession of faith and more about making faith our profession. What's he saying? How do we make faith our profession? How does our life profess a life of faith? So not just saying I'm a believer, but how does my life begin to give a picture of what it looks like to be a person of faith? How do we do that? Write this down. People of character become solutions. They become solutions. Solutions to what? Solutions to problems. Look at verse eight. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Sicilia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law and they seized Stephen and they brought him before the Sanhedrin and they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow, he never stopped speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place 
and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen. And they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Well, let's take a picture for a moment. What If Stephen were to take a, a photograph, if he were to turn the camera around and, and take a selfie of himself, what would the picture be? What's the picture of who Stephen is that his life proclaimed and his life demonstrated to other people that when other people would see Stephen, when they would look at him, when they would see a picture, in other words, of his life, what does that picture describe? And this word gives us four areas that were descriptive of the life of Stephen. Number one, they said he was a full of faith. He was full of faith. Second, he was full of the Holy Spirit on the inside. It was obvious to people. Third, he was full of grace. He was full of grace and last he was full of power. So these four things begin to describe what it looked like for Stephen as a picture as his life demonstrated the work of God in his life. He had faith, which means belief in what God could do. He, had, he was full of the Holy Spirit that he was allowing the Spirit of God to convict his life, to help his life, to open the scriptures to him and he was becoming more and more obedient to what the Spirit would do in his leading. He was full of grace, that instead of being full of judgment, he would give grace to people. He would, he would be known for what he's for, not what he's against. In fact, what is interesting here is that they had to make up things that, that Stephen was quote unquote against because the, they already only knew him for what he was for. So they had to produce false witnesses saying he's against this temple. He's against the law of Moses. They had to lie because they only knew what Stephen stood for, not what he was against. And last, his life was full of power. So let me ask, if, if you took a selfie, if you took the camera and took a selfie, if you uh, took a picture and other people saw the picture of you, what would other people describe your life proclaiming? Would they say when they see a picture of you, what they might, might they say about you? And sometimes that can be a very convicting thought, right? What would your selfie communicate? Could it be that other people might describe you as being full of complaint instead of full of faith? That they would just look at your life and go, that person's just a complainer. They just complain about everything instead of that person's becoming more and more a person of faith in the work of God. They might say to you that you might be full of alcohol or maybe drugs or maybe food instead of being full of the Holy Spirit. In other words, your life is led by your appetites. Your life is led uh, by maybe it's greed or maybe it's drugs or maybe it's something else. That that's what your life is led by instead of your life being led by the Holy Spirit. Perhaps they might look at you and say, you're full of judgment instead of grace because it's very obvious what, that you proclaim what you're against more than you proclaim what you are for. It's quite possible. And maybe you're full of good intentions instead of godly power in your actions. Now you want to have the power of God. You want to respond in right ways, but you really just have a lot of good intentions because perhaps you haven't been allowing the word of God to lay claim over your opinions, to lay claim over your actions, to lay claim over your loyalties and your beliefs. And again, that first and foremost, you and I are people of the kingdom of God. We are kingdom citizens of heaven before we're any party citizens of any movement on earth. So does your life proclaim that you're a kingdom citizen 
of heaven above all of your other ideals and loyalties. Because it should, and because the spirit of God is gonna draw you to it. And if they're not, you become your own limiting factor in the work of God in your life. So we have to say, am I becoming more and more a follower of Jesus or am I just gonna stay as a fan? I'm a fan of God, but I'm not actually a follower. See, the people whom the brothers and sisters nominated, the people the brothers and sisters elected to become solutions to the problem were men of character. That's who they elected. That they elected these were the ones who were gonna lead now in the distributing of the food to the widows, that they were people of character. So what was the solution? Electing people of character to the problems that they were facing in the local church. Write this down. Character shows up in your conversation and in your countenance. You might say, what in the world is my countenance? That's your facial expressions. That's how you looked. They looked at Stephen and they saw that his face was like that of an angel. Does it mean, I mean, what does that look like? How does that describe? They just, when they looked at him, they could see the Holy Spirit was inside of him and they could not stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Well, how does that happen? Like, how do you just suddenly get this wisdom? You might not be a very educated person. Stephen would have been among those who weren't very educated people. But how was it that these educated people could not stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit gave him as he spoke? Well, where did this wisdom come from? How does a person go from being a non-believer to a believer and then suddenly having wisdom that they weren't educated for? Well, Jesus gives us a forecasting glimpse of what it's gonna look like after he ascends to heaven. So if we rewind into the book of Luke and the life of Jesus, in Luke 21, beginning with verse 12, we read this. Jesus is speaking. But before all this, they'll seize you and they'll persecute you. They'll hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison and you'll be brought before kings and governors all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to who? To me, Jesus says. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand about how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. And you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and sisters, relatives or friends. And they'll put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm and you will win life. Jesus talks about the days ahead, that there will be times of persecution, but don't worry when you're dragged in front of those who falsely accuse you that the Holy Spirit in Jesus's absence as he's ascended to heaven and the Holy Spirit's presence as he's come to indwell us will give you wisdom in the time so that your life can reflect a life of faith. He'll give you wisdom for the words that you will speak. And even if you're persecuted, even if you're killed on account of the name of Jesus Christ, you will win life. See, part of being filled with faith is knowing that God's Holy Spirit will give you the needed words. 
He'll give you the needed words. And I know so many people who at times are like, I'm afraid to share about Jesus because I don't have enough education. I'm afraid to share about Jesus because I don't know if I have the words. And what happens is, instead of being people of faith in God's Holy Spirit with the assurances he's given us, we become people of fear. And so sometimes you are afraid and you're living out of fear when it comes to sharing Jesus with others because you believe you lack the words to say. Let me tell you, the more that you're in the word and letting the word minister to you, you suddenly now have something to share about out of your own personal experience with the word of God. So don't neglect biblical learning. Don't neglect biblical reading, but more importantly, don't neglect your life's response to God's holy word. Obey it. Let this word have claim over your decisions. Let this word have claim over your life. Let this word have claim over your loyalties. And guess what? You'll have plenty to say in the time when you need it. So ask God to change your conversation and to change your countenance. So God, please change my conversation to reflect the wisdom and, to, and help me be winsome to those who would be drawn to Christ. Now listen, it said that many priests who formerly were Jewish priests were now turning to belief and faith in Jesus. And that's not only a shift in their job duties, but that's a shift in their belief system. And many of them, the word of God was spreading and many were coming to faith in Christ. And that moved forward because they saw uh, solutions to the problems and the word of God spread rapidly. And let me tell you, when you allow character to show up in your conversation, and in your countenance, it becomes like a magnet for people who would be drawn to Christ. But don't be fooled. It also will allow others to oppose you, as was the case of Stephen right here. But don't worry. Stand firm because God loves you. Stand firm because God will support you. Stand firm and you will win life. Character shows itself on your face. People at times, you ever heard somebody that say, I just love the Lord. I just, I just have so much joy in my life. I feel like shaking those people and say, well, if you got joy in the Lord, like if that's a fruit of the God's spirit inside of you, tell your face because you look so gloomy and you, and you look like you're complaining all the time. No, tell your face. Well, how does it happen? How do we change? It says, all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like that of an angel. Well, how do we change? How do we change from being people who complain to people who see opportunity to people who let the word of God speak in us and let our conversation and our character be modeled on our countenance? How does that happen? It happens when you are with the Lord and let me tell you, don't wait too long. Don't wait too long to become the solution. Don't wait too long to finally let God's word begin to have claim on your life. Don't wait too long till you get real about being with God and real about reading his word and real about talking with him in prayer when you want to complain, but you turn to prayer instead. Don't wait too long. Why? Because you and I develop lines and you're either gonna have smile lines are you going to have bitter wrinkles? Because your face shows a lot of time on the outside what's going on on the inside and given years, that can change. 
So how do you turn your wrinkles into smile lines? And I don't know if you're a young person or you're in middle age or you are a senior adult or you're a child, but you've got the choice as character changes you, it actually changes what goes on on your face. In the Old Testament, Moses went to be with God up on the mountain of God. And as he was in the presence of the Lord, he came down off the mountain and people were afraid because his face was shining. It was almost like glowing. Why? Because he was close to the Lord. And I want to suggest to you that your time alone being close to God is going to show on your face. That there's something about that. That's why you're drawn to somebody who you see as really being spiritual in relationship to God. That's why sometimes you don't know, why does that person seem a little bit attractive to me? Uh, You think to yourself, maybe they're a believer. And you get in conversation, you find out they are. Why? Because you're seeing your heart is responding to the Spirit of God that's in them because you've got the Spirit of God in you. It's no accident. The countenance of a joyful Christian is a magnet that can be used by the Lord to draw other people to himself. So let your life be a witness. Become people of character and be the potential solution to every problem. But where does it start? It starts when you're not a person of faith, when you have maybe some other beliefs but you finally realize that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the one you need to turn your life to. And if that's you today, where you're just like, I gotta surrender my life to God. Maybe you've been a fan for a while, but you know deep down you're not a follower. And the real transition in your life comes when you commit your life to God, when you commit your heart to Him, when you not only ask for His forgiveness, but you ask Him to radically shift and change you. So wherever you are, I want everyone out loud, just a prayer, prayer like this. You might've been a believer for a long time, or you might be somebody right now who just is saying, my heart is burning within me. I need to respond to God. It's time for me to give my life to God. And right where you are, everybody out loud, just in your family or where you're watching right now, just pray something like this. Just say, Jesus, today, I give you me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose to new life and that you were God. And I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me as white as snow. Help me to reflect your presence in me. And would you use my life for your kingdom's sake? Because today, Jesus, I give you me. And if you prayed that right now, I want you to know that God wants to do a work in your heart, that he wants to make you a new creation, that your sins are washed away. You are white as snow, that you don't have to fear death any longer. We'll experience it, but you don't have to fear it. And in this day and age, when there's so much fear, the faith and the proclamation of a life lived by faith is one of the most winsome things to people who are searching for real solutions in a world gone wild. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.